This is the Bobcats, a Bob Dylan fan podcast. I was young when I left home. Don't I've been out of rambling around. And I never wrote a letter to my home. When I started writing my own songs, the folk lingo was the only vocabulary that I knew, and I used it. But I had something else as well. I had principles and sensibilities and an informed view of the world, and I had had that for a while. Learned it all in grammar school, Don Quixote, Ivanhoe, Robinson Crusoe, Gulliver's Travels, Tales of Two Cities, all the rest. Typical grammar school reading that gave you a way of looking at life, an understanding of human nature, and a standard to measure things by. I took all that with me when I started composing lyrics, and the themes from those books work their way into many of my songs, either knowingly or unintentionally. I wanted to write songs unlike anything anybody ever heard, and these themes were fundamental. again everybody welcome back to the bobcats the show where i talk to interesting people from around the world about my favorite topic bob dylan i'm your host matt steichen it's a chilly day here in minnesota but since our last episode bob has announced a spring tour of the southern united states so as far as i'm concerned all is right with the world uh, i won't be able to make any of those spring dates but regardless i'm very happy for those of you who have secured your tickets and we'll get to see the man himself back on the road starting next month the shows were so good last fall that I'm frankly just happy uh, for you guys that missed out on the last go around that you'll get a chance to see Bob back in action. Speaking of live shows, today I'm joined by a guest that's kind of unique for this show. She's only seen Bob in concert one time, but she's probably done as much to celebrate Bob and his legacy as anyone I've talked to. She's also my first guest to be a graduate of Hibbing High School. She's a graphic designer by trade and the president of the Hibbing Dillon Project, a group of volunteers that raised $100,000 to build a public art tribute to Bob outside Hibbing High School. Joining us from the Iron Range is Katie Ferdine. Welcome, Katie. Good morning. Thank you for having me. What a great introduction. Wow. <laughs> That's so flattering. Thank you. I think that a lot of our listeners are probably aware, at least I hope they are, of the great stuff that you've done with the Hibbing Dillon Project. And we'll cover all of that. But I want to start chronologically and ask uh, what it was like to grow up in Hibbing. I think growing up in Hibbing is probably just like it is growing up in any small town. You know, we would um, spend time at the at the shopping mall and do our shopping and eat pizza and go to movies, just like probably any other uh, any other kid in America. Um, I graduated from high school in the mid '90s, and um, you know, up until that point, kind of bringing it back to Dylan. You know, it was talked about, but never really. Um, really he's just always kind of there but I, I do remember some pretty cool distinct moments of of being a senior in high school I think thereabouts and driving down 7th Avenue each east which has been since renamed Bob Dylan Drive and past, driving past his childhood home and hearing um, his son Jacob Dylan singing one headlight with the wallflowers on the radio and and every time that um, a Dylan tune or a wallflowers tune comes on the radio when you're driving through hitting it I don't know there's just something kind of magical about it but Growing up was pretty, you know, pretty run of the mill. 
Uh, I've read a lot of Bob books and my favorite parts of every Bob book that I read are the parts that cover his youth and what it was like growing up uh, with the long winters and his feelings of being kind of physically isolated and not really fitting in in this blue collar small town. And I can kind of relate to that being from a small Midwestern town myself. But then in the Nobel lecture, uh, he really talked fairly fondly of, of Hibbing, not just in the Nobel lecture, but at different times. But then in the Nobel lecture, he talked about the books he read growing up and he seemed to have, you know, a fairly sophisticated worldview as a kid. And he felt like he had a, a good education and was well prepared for the world. So that kind of fascinates me that, uh, and I think that kind of fascinates a lot of fans that this kid grew up in this just regular small town. And then, you know, two years after he graduated from high school, he had this fresh worldly perspective that allowed him to write these songs that are so important uh, to so many people. So is there any insight or understanding that you think that you have on what kind of shaped him just based on being in that same small town? Yeah, I think the Iron Range is, um, has always prided itself on, on creating a stock of people that are sturdy and they have a really strong work ethic and, and a drive and a desire to, to go ahead and succeed. I think, um, you know, I, I don't know him personally, but I think in, in the readings that, of Dylan that I've done, I feel like he was, um, he was kind of maybe a hard worker in a different form. His desire wasn't to go and grind in the mines and work in the mines or, or you know, do anything that really anybody around here may have understood. But it, it blows my mind to think that he graduated from Hibbing High School and he moved down to the Twin Cities and did a little bit of schooling down at the University of Minnesota and then, you know, made his way out to, to New York and um, worked hard and chased his dreams and, and eventually you know, those doors open to him and, and the rest, I guess you could say is kind of history, but Hibbing very much prides itself on that, the education and, and the schooling you get in the castle in the woods up here in our historic Hibbing High School. So you talked a little bit about listening and hearing the wallflowers making you think of, of Bob. What was the general awareness? Um, again, the small town I grew up in is not known for anything. No one particularly impressive or culturally relevant ever came out of my hometown in Iowa. So was that something that was, was Bob and his fame and his accomplishments, something that was brought up in school ever in history class or something that was like promoted by the town regularly when you were a kid back then? I think it was just talked about every, every once in a while. Uh, my perception of of Dylan might be a little bit different than, you know, anybody else that was my age. My dad was a classmate of his and they graduated together in, uh, in 1959. And, um, you know, our childhood, my childhood family dinners would be every once in a while interrupted by a random phone call from a stranger calling to interview my dad and, uh, you know, kind of pick his brain about what life was like growing up as a kid in Hibbing. And, um, you know, so it's just kind of always there in the background. And as I, as I got older and, and my, you know, my world expanded to beyond, beyond just Hibbing, I had the opportunity to travel to Seattle. And, um, when they opened up the experience music projects, um, Bob Dylan's American journey exhibit. And it was there that I really like, it kind of blew the whole Bob Dylan world open for me to really, really grasp, um, his influence around the world. Yeah, I think I attended that, uh, the American Journey exhibit when it came to Minneapolis, probably a year or two after that. 
do you remember specifically things about that exhibit or more generally, like what maybe your misconceptions were about Bob or like what you understood about him better after going to that? Well, it was through my, the connections with my dad that we actually had the opportunity to go there when the exhibit first opened and they had a, a big, probably like a weekend long, two, three day long opening celebration for the exhibit. And for me, it was, you know, the opportunity to travel to Seattle and, you know, whatever I was with my parents, but it was cool. So, um, but, you know, have that opportunity to travel to Seattle and see this really, really, really professionally done exhibit that features a lot of stuff from just from hitting, um, the curators work to um, work with Dylan collectors to get, you know, clocks that were in the in the school at the time. And there was a whole wall full of just iron ore behind metal cages and and things like that. And, and seeing your hometown really on display in a professional sense is just seeing it through a new lens. And it's really it's a, it was a really, really cool opportunity to see all of that. And then um, during that weekend, they had a lot of speakers that knew Dylan early on in his career. And, um, you know, they, they'd held these panels of just kind of, uh, reminiscent of, of that time in Greenwich village when Dylan arrived there. And one of the speakers was his former girlfriend, Susie, Susie Rotolo. And she was just talking about, you know, what it was like at the time and, and just listening to her talk and kind of thinking, wow, this is, this is a guy that grew up walking down the same streets that I grew up walking down. And it was really, like I said, mind blowing to see that, um, that global perspective, if you will. Does your dad have any stories specifically about things he remembers about Bob or things that happened when he was around Bob or anything like that? Yeah. You know, he has a few stories that he tells every once in a while, nothing, like I said, nothing that's really, really kind of earth shattering or it's just kind of routine. This is what we did as kids. They lived on the same block and they ran in the same crowd and, you know, did that kind of thing. Um, we've joked from time to time about, you know, oh yeah, I could say that Bob Dylan's been to my house because he was at that house when he was in high school. And it's the one that my parents live in now. And, you know, just little antidotes like that, but you know, just, he was just a neighborhood kid at the time. So nobody really thought anything of it at the time and just kind of took it for what it's worth. Uh, when I was up in Hibbing on Bob's birthday, about five years ago, I discovered that I had a distant relative in Bob's graduating class as well. Uh, Linda Whiteside, who I've talked to on this show was actually down in the library at the basement with the Bob Dylan display. And we were looking at the old yearbooks and I saw someone with my last name, which is a very rare last name straight across the page from Bob's. And I was like, well, that's, you know, small world to see that someone, a distant relative was there in Hibbing at the same time as well. And actually that was the same weekend where I would have met you very briefly as well, because Bob's uh, memorabilia display was up at the Memorial building with Bill Pagel. And I, okay. I talked to you briefly, but my kids were with us and they were running around like crazy. So I don't think we had very much time to talk, but I remember that now that you say that we were kind of standing by that little diorama of the city of Hibbing, the early settlers area, right? Right. Yep. Yep. Yes. I'm glad you said something. I, that totally is all, all came back to me now. Got it. Yeah. That was the time that my five-year-old had been eating like chocolate pudding or something. And he's, I was talking to Bill and my, and my five-year-old snuck behind the memorabilia counter and started to touch chimes of freedom a paper copy of it with his hands. And, oh man, I was, I could tell, you know, Bill was seething underneath, but he was kind enough not to like yell at my child, which I probably would have if I were in his position. <laughs> That's a good story. <laughs> 
I, I think I've gone to Hibbing three or four times now, you know, and the, the first time I went there, Zimmy's was still open. So that was like awesome to have a place like that for the fans to gather and have poetry readings and, you know, look at the Bob themed menu and all the memorabilia and stuff. And of course, like I said, the library and, and you can, you know, stroll by and see his house, but it always did seem like there was something missing. Like there should be more here. You know, there's not a a Graceland like Elvis has. Um, and things I've read, people would always say that people in Hibbing were much more proud of like Kevin McHale, is, was that a sense, you know, that you had being someone that was, you know, around the town all those years before anybody kind of took any action like that? You know, it was, it was always talked about change takes time, right? Change, change takes way more time than I ever thought that it would have. Um, when we first started this project um, to, to create a public work of art honoring Dylan in a, in a way that people could get to any time of the day um, and just have that moment. Um, I really thought this would be zipped up in like a year. I mean, just easy peasy slam dunk. And it took us five years. So, um, I can totally attest to the fact that change takes time and it, it might take a generation. Um, unfortunately. So, you know, Dylan graduated from high school and everybody knows the story that he changed his name, um, and that he kind of set out and created a new identity. And what's left behind is this really strange feeling, I think, for people in Hibbing that, um, you know, there's a, there's a rhetoric out there. There's, there's a, I haven't heard it so much anymore, but it, it used to kind of say like, Oh, well, Bob Dylan, he doesn't do anything for Hibbing. Well, you know, does he really have to, does he really have to, does he owe our community anything? And I think that, no, I don't think he does. I think he's just a guy that graduated from my high school and chased his dreams and just kept moving forward. And some people, yes, absolutely. Some people like to give back, but I always, you know, people always kind of think, well, you know, I've got family members that were successful. They moved down to the twin cities and they haven't done anything. They haven't given back anything to our community. They're developing the community that they're living in. And I think that, that that's just something really to kind of to think about a little bit. Um, so anyhow, by trying to create this public work of art and honor him, I feel like we are taking a step in the right step forward to say, hey, there's this guy that lived here that graduated from our high school um, who went out and set the world on fire with his songs and his music and his artwork. And like you said earlier, he's from nowhere, Minnesota. And look at look at what he did and look at what he accomplished by working hard. So our, our public work of art is as much for him and the work that he accomplished in winning that Nobel Prize or being awarded the Nobel Prize and all the other accolades he he's amassed, you know, along that career pathway, as it is for the next kid to come along and say, hey, I have this dream and I've got the odds stacked against me, but I'm going to just persevere and I'm going to go for it and I'm going to be successful and, you know, wish them the best of luck with whatever they do. So what was the first step for the Hitting Dylan project coming together then after all those years and finally what sparked the action? Well, like I said, it, it all started with a, the Nobel Prize announcement that happened in October of, of 2016. The Nobel Prize Committee announced that Dylan was, for the first time ever, a singer-songwriter was going to be awarded the Nobel Prize in Literature. And um, that was unheard of. And so um, Craig Haddam, a retired um, geography teacher from, from the school district, said, you know what, enough's enough. enough. There, there's been people talking and saying, somebody should, somebody should 
all these years, let's have a meeting and see what can happen. So um, he did, he assembled a meeting and I was one of the people that showed up along with um, probably about 30 or 30 people or so um, for the first few meetings to just kind of figure out what we were doing. And initially it was Craig's idea um, to build a statue and, you know, have a, a giant size statue out on the lawn at Hibbing High School, which we all thought was really cool. And early on in that process, we were contacted by some of Dylan's family members that said, you know what, we really, really think that's cool, but please, please no likeness. And so for a couple of days, we thought we were, you know, dead in the water before we even got started. And a couple of days later, they called and said, you know what, we we really think it's cool that you want to do something and we have this idea. And so we met with one of his family members and, and they presented this whole idea of, um, kind of a wall of discovery and compared it to the time that you would see people standing at the, um, the Vietnam Memorial and looking at this wall and just kind of studying it and staring at it and looking for, for family members' names, you know, uh, what have you. And something along those lines in Haven where we have a wall and instead of etched with names of um, soldiers that have given their lives to our country, um, etched with song lyrics, just pieces of songs from throughout Dylan's career and um, a chair in front of that wall facing the school um, kind of as a testament to that songwriting process and to the songwriting tradition recognizing that that's not necessarily Bob's chair he's sat in it for a number of years but somebody else will come along and take that seat just like he's taken that seat you know you could even say he sat in that seat after Woody Guthrie you know or, or any other songwriter so um that's how we got started. And then from there, it was just tackling a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of different hurdles um, and permissions and that kind of thing along the way and fundraising. So five years of getting permissions and five years of fundraising finally paid off for us in, in just this past year. Uh, I bought the t-shirt and I did share your guys' social media posts every chance I got. I would have liked to have been more involved with the actual uh, you know, Hibbing Dylan project group, but it was kind of hard from far away. So I just tried to like support you guys as much as I could from here. Uh, what, uh, what was your process for actually soliciting donations? Was it like through local businesses or individual people? And like, uh, did you get uh, people who were interested in supporting this all over the world? I would imagine. Yeah, we did. We, um, we started out with a bang and we had what we call the Nobel prize, um, party, uh, Nobel prize reception. And it was on December 2nd, 2016. And it was uh, a night of the, no the, the Nobel prize was being awarded. And, um, we had that, you know, great event music readings from local artists and musicians and that kind of thing. And that really kicked us off and started us off with a great support, great amount of support from our community and also from the business businesses in town. And so from there, we just worked on doing all sorts of different fundraisers that we could think of. So whether that was, um, you know, having a larger scale event that was ticket-based sales, looking for just straight up donations of cash, um, before COVID, we would do, um, as quirky as it sounds, small townish, um, we would do bingo night a couple nights, a couple nights a month. And we would, you know, use the profit from our bingo sales, which was great because we are totally um, an organization of volunteers. We have no storefront. We have no way for people to come into our office and chit chat with us. They have to call us, they have to email us, whatever. And so it was really a nice way to kind of be out in the community and have those little conversations with people that maybe not would not have engaged with us otherwise. And we had, um, you know, 
I appreciate every, every post you're, you're not kidding. <laughs> Everything you shared on social media to help spread the word absolutely helps. So we had donations come in from, you know, Hibbing, Duluth, um, Minneapolis, across the state of Minnesota, across the country and around the world. We've received donations from as far as, as far away as England, Ireland, and Australia, I think to just name a few countries. So wow, that's cool. and every, everyone is like appreciated every Facebook, like every Facebook share, um, $5 donation, whatever, it, everything was just greatly appreciated by us. Uh, I watched the streaming of the unveiling in October. And I remember you laid out a little bit the details on the approvals and all that, that you had to go through. Can you lay that out for us? All the different uh, groups you had to go through to make this happen. Yeah, it was a lot. Um, first, first things first, uh, I don't know if we'll go in chronological order or whoever pops up first, but we contacted the Nobel prize committee and they granted us permission right away because on the street side of our, of our project, we have a gigantic Nobel prize emblem, which is a, a gigantic replica of what every Nobel prize winner um, receives with a, a line right directly from the Nobel prize announcement. Um, so we got their approval right away. And then we had to work with um, the Minnesota state Minnesota State Historic Preservation Office and get their approval because our project is on the grounds of Hibbing High School, which is a historic property. Um, so location definitely matters. In regards to our local school board, we also had to work and get approval with them. Um, and it, long story made short, the original location that we wanted to put our project didn't work out for a couple of different reasons. So it was through a lot of conversations with the school board um, that we arrived at the location where it is still on, on the west side of the school, still on 7th Avenue East and just a touch closer to his childhood home. Um, it's really the, it's just a perfect location for it. So we had to get approval with them. We had to work with the city. Um, and the other one that is a big one is we had to work with the Bob Dylan's management company as well to make sure that we would be able to legally use the lyrics that we had selected. Um, and all along the way, seeking input on lyrics from fans, from scholars, from you know people around the world. Bill Pagel was a key person in making the connections with, um, you know, different people that have written and studied Dylan's works to make sure that we not only have, you know, um, songs that everybody would recognize, but some deeper tracks and, you know, more thoughtful tracks on there as well. So it, it was a lot. It, it was, I guess you could say it was a global effort to get all the permissions that we needed signed off on to, to do this work. I saw a clean cut kid is on there. So shout out to whoever suggested and, and chose <laughs> clean cut kid. Have you been up to see it yet? Or is that no, a summer I, trip for you? I, I can't wait. My next, our next road trip uh, North will for sure get there. Awesome. And I have a standing invitation from Bill to get a tour of the house. So I can't turn that down. Your kids can sit on the chair too. Nobody will freak out about it. <laughs> uh, what kind of uh, engagement have you seen from the community since it's gone up? Have you driven by and gotten feedback from people and, and that sort of thing? Yeah, everything we heard, uh, is, at least everything that's come back to me has been really, really positive, which is, is great to hear because you do something so monumental and you give so much of your time uh, to create something like this that you really hope it's well-received in the community. And to my knowledge, it is. It's been really well-received. Um you know, before the, the snow and the cold came, just about every weekend I would drive by and see, you know, the cars. One weekend I saw a group of maybe about 20 people just walking around and studying it. And it took all of my willpower to not jump out of my car and go running up to those people being like, I helped this. I helped create this. I'm so glad you're here. But 
I restrain myself from making a fool of myself. And, um, but the cool thing is, is now in the wintertime, the school is doing a great job of removing snow and kind of keeping it cleared away. But the cool thing about the snow is there's footprints. And so it's been great that, you know, after freshly fallen snow, when the temperature is not kill yourself freezing off outside that you can see those snow prints around the, those footprints around the snow, around the monuments. So people are visiting it. Teachers are excited to get their classes out there and use it in different ways in the classroom. So it'll be great when it gets warm, get outside and, and people can really take the time to enjoy it. We talked about this a little bit, but um, Bob's legacy in Hibbing, uh, you talked about this monument uh, celebrating Bob's work, but I guess, can you speak a little bit more to it, to what it would mean to the, the young kids in Hibbing? I remember when you, at the commemoration, you talked about that this is for the theater kids, this is for the athletes. Um, what do you hope that they take away from uh, this wall as, as they experience it and notice it over the coming years? Oh, I hope that they take away a lot of lessons. Um, all along, we've talked to different teachers, like how to use this, like different creative ways that you can actually use this in your classroom. Like take a line and try to relate it to a civics project or, you know, take a line and illustrate it for an art project. But more than that, more than that book work, um, I hope it's a standing example of, of hard work, dedication and, and chasing your dreams. And especially um, maybe it will help inspire some some students that that um, that are more inclined to just sit quietly in their rooms and, and write a song and, and pick away at writing a song, um, because that appeals to them more than going out for a sports team. I don't want to put any athletes down, um, because I think all the athletes are driven by music, right? Nothing gets you more pumped up to go running or to, to do your sport than listening to a great song with a great tune. And I think music drives so much of our daily lives that, um, it's easy to forget that there's a soundtrack to our lives. And, um, you know, just take those lessons, take those songs, take those random lines that are out there in the snow to, um, to inspire and grow. And if you're ever having a moment where you think, well, you know what, maybe I wasn't cut out to do this hard thing, you know, take a look at that and think of how many times Dylan must have failed before he succeeded at, at any one of those things. Cause I'm, I'm sure there's a fair amount of failures that we just don't hear about. And we only see the successes. Uh, so what do you think is next for, uh, Bob in Hibbing, not just with the Hibbing Dillon project, but with the city itself. Uh, I work closely with, uh, the school district and the chamber of commerce here in the city where I work. And we're constantly looking for things that will make us marketable things that will drive tourism. What's going to make people want to come spend a weekend in our city is the city of Hibbing thinking about that sort of thing as well. I, you know what, I can't speak for any official city of Hibbing personnel or anything like that. Um, I think that, you know, we built this and it was intentional. Like I said, back when we were having discussions with the school district about where to put it, there was conversations. Oh, maybe it should just be, you know, something inside the building. And we're like, no, it has to be outside. It has to be accessible. Because one of the the big ideas about having to be outside and um, accessible to people year round is that it doesn't matter if school is in session. Um, It doesn't matter if it's Sunday afternoon at three o'clock on a hot summer day and all the local people are, you know, at their cabins doing their summer things. Um, People that come to town can have that Bob Dylan experience. And, And importantly too, it doesn't cost them anything. They can just kind of come and sit and be and hang out and do whatever they want to do. Um, so definitely we hope that that will 
be a sticky point for people that come to visit the Iron Range that um, that they're here. They might as well come to Hibbing and, and see that um, continue to be used for for classroom and for teachers to, you know, help get their students to think bigger thoughts. And, um, you know, moving forward, we're, we are working, the Hibbing Dillon Project is working on a couple of different initiatives to just um, put more art and music out into the public space. And um, so, yeah, we're, we had to take some time off. We had to take a couple of months off after that, the yeah, completion of our Dillon project. Yeah, it was, a, it was an intense five years because it was, it was a lot throw COVID in there. And, um, you know, our main mechanism of fundraising with trying to have people gathered for events that kind of shut things down for a while. So we've taken a couple months off and now we've had a chance to, get back to our daily lives and are eager to jump in on a couple more different um, opportunities that we see in town to just, like I said, continue to help promote the arts and, um, and music within our city. Looking at you and your, your fandom more specifically, uh, you've, you've put in all this work, you know, to acknowledge and celebrate Bob. Are there any specific songs or albums that speak to you and reinforce to you that that work that you've done is, has been worthwhile? Um, you know what? I, like I said earlier, every time I hear a Dylan song on the radio or, you know, plays on my Spotify list or, you know, wherever it comes off the top of my head, I can't say that there's one particular song or there's one particular album. Don't get me wrong. I've got, I own them. Um, I just can't think of any one right now that, that is the end all be all for me. I think it's more in the moments where, um, my kids are young too. And, you know, when a Dylan song comes on the radio, I'm like, Hey kids, who sings this song? And they're like, that's Bob Dylan. I'm like, yes, you know, I'm, I'm educating them from a young age to understand, um, you know, who Bob Dylan is and how he is connected to them through just being kids and hibbing and, um, just kind of serve as that reminder that, that they can, they can do big things too, even if they're from here. So, um, yeah, sorry, sorry that I don't have, like I said, a particular song or an album. I'm definitely a Bob Dylan fan. <laughs> Well, it means a lot to me and to fans around the world. I'll, I'll speak on behalf of Bobcats everywhere and saying uh, thanks for the effort that you put in uh, to make it happen and uh, to give us somewhere to go on our pilgrimages. Thank you so much. And, and I hope that we see you. I hope we see you and your family and uh, you, your listeners up here this summer. Um, you can find us on social media. We're Hibbing Dillon Project on, on Facebook and Instagram. We have a website, HibbingDillonProject.org. I feel a bit like a an advertiser plugging all of our social media and our website. But seriously, if you if you want to get a hold of any of us, just drop us a note through social media. And um, if you're planning to come to town and you want to have a conversation with anybody from our group, we've we've got a pretty good group of volunteers that would be willing to um, to meet if the if the um, schedules would work out that way. So it's great to have you thinking about making trips up here. You have been listening to The Bobcats, a Bob Dylan fan podcast. You can find back episodes of the show on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Please feel free to rate, review, and share a link to this podcast with your Bob-loving friends around the world. For the latest Bob Dylan news and commentary, follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Stike. Once again, thanks for listening, and be sure to join us next time for another episode of The Bobcats. Bobcats.